Hi, I'm Richard, the founder of 10 Adventures, and this is the 10 Adventures podcast. Each week, we talk to real people about real adventures as they explore this incredible planet we all live on. Welcome back to the 10 Adventures podcast. Today, we're talking about one of the most epic long distance through hikes on Earth. New Zealand's Te Araroa. Here to talk about her experience is author Laura Waters, who wrote Bewildered, a book about her journey on this incredible trail. Hi, Laura. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Richard. Thanks for having me. Uh, So first question, did I actually say it right? Te Araroa? Can you say it so we just have at least once correct on the podcast? I say it, and a lot of the hikers say it, Te Araroa. If you were Māori, you'd probably put some other little twist on it, but uh, yeah, Te Araroa. Excellent. Okay. The first day, yeah, first question was an easy one. Uh, next question is a bit harder. What is Te Araroa? I'd heard about it, kind of this mythical walk, but can you give a bit of the details of of, the, of this incredible uh, through hike? Yeah, it uh, opened or officially launched in 2011. So it's a 3,000-kilometer route right from the very top of New Zealand at Cape Reinga all the way down to Bluff at the bottom of the South Island. Um, And it sort of links a load of pre-existing and new trails together. Um, It's intended as a a natural, cultural and historical tour of the country. So it's not pure backcountry the whole time. You you do do a lot of gnarly backcountry, but there's also walks through, you know, gravel roads through little villages and where you get to meet people and and see kiwi life so it's it kind of gives you a really good overview of the whole country and an immersive experience and your book was published in north america in 2022 i know it won uh, some really prestigious awards in australia in 2021 but when did you actually do the walk it'll be 10 years ago this november (laughs) That I did it, and I oh wow, I know. Um, I set out when it was pretty much brand new and um, an unknown quantity. So yeah, it was an amazing experience, and then it's been ten years. It was one of the happiest times of my whole life. So it's and it's fundamentally changed the course of my life. So um, yeah, it's pretty pretty significant this this anniversary for me. Uh, and it's interesting because reading the book. It felt like this really rugged, raw path that there was no information for. And I thought, if, is this is this 2019 or 2018? Because I've heard about it quite a bit and it explains it. You walked it just, you know, you're one of the first, you know, the third summer it was open. Yeah, yeah. 2011, late 2011 that it opened and I did it 2013. What inspired you to undertake this massive through hike? which is brand new as well. There Obviously, there wasn't a huge amount of information for you to like glean on about all the details. I know. I, you know, it's funny, Richard. I, I think the, the trail chose me because I was at this point in my life, well, you know, for decades I'd been doing, you know, the standard typical life, working, being productive, corporate job, but for so long I'd thought there's got to be more to life than this and I felt like I was capable of more and and um, I didn't actually have a plan about doing a long-distance hike. I wasn't looking for one. But when I was just reading in a hiking magazine one night about this new trail that had opened and I immediately thought, that's it, that's what I want to do. 
and I thought it would have the right amount of challenge. You know, being in nature, I loved adventures, but hopefully not be so radical that it might kill me, you know. So <laughs> I just thought, yeah, that sounds like an epic adventure. I'm going to do it. And I got really single-minded about it. But, um, yeah, so I wasn't, I wasn't looking for this hike, but as soon as I read it, that it existed, I wanted to do it. And did you have an idea what you were looking for from the hike in terms of like this life-changing event? Were you going into there saying this is going to change my life or was it just trying to escape from a reality that many people have of uh, a job that's good, but you know, they're not passionate about and a life that's good, but they're not passionate about, you know, where were you on that? Like, did you expect what came out from, from this? I guess I went into it just wanting to shake myself up a bit, you know, and feel alive and challenge myself. But the other side of, of it was that coincidentally at that point of time in my life, I was not in a great headspace. I'd just come out of a pretty toxic relationship and suffering anxiety and depression and, you know, kind of a PTSD type anxiety and depression. And so I really needed something to control or delete my life. So it sort of came at the right time for me to, to let me es- escape and um, wipe the slate clean as it were. I don't know if lots of people would choose a 3000 kilometer trek as how they're going to, going to focus on this. How, how prepared were you for this challenging trek, brand new, lots of route finding mountains, coast, uh, 3000 kilometers. Is this something that was in your wheelhouse leading into starting this? Um, I've done, you know, a good, good number of multi-day hikes, but nothing longer than six days and on well-established trails. So it was going to be um, a challenge for me, but I just, I kind of went about it. You know, I got myself a, you know, I used to be an executive assistant to a CEO, so I got my spreadsheet out and <laughs> wrote a list of the a to-do list. Okay, get GPS, load the routes, learn a bit more about wilderness navigation, learn about river crossings. Uh, and I sort of tackled things systematically and tried to get as much um knowledge in the bank before I set out. And in terms of physical training, I worked with a physio for about eight months beforehand because I had a history of knee problems and I just knew I needed to try and make myself as bulletproof as possible before stepping foot on the trail. And I did hike, um, well, I did walk sort of two hours a day for the three months leading up to it, just walking to work um, and then doing some multi-day training hikes with all my kit on the weekends but nothing really can prepare you for walking all day every day for five months it's just I think the biggest thing you need for something like that is mental strength and that is something that <laughs> that's what at least one thing I'm, I'm good at um, so just the ability to suck up the pain and push on and know that those hard times won't last. So, um, yeah, I did as much as I could to prepare. At some point, you just got to step foot on the trail and, and see what happens. They always say the first the first step is the hardest. And so your first day, those first few steps, what was the feeling like? Was it the excitement? Was it fear? Was it something else? It was totally surreal, to be honest. I, I set out with a girlfriend and um, I just felt like, a total imposter, basically. I had I had new gear. I'd never used hiking poles before, so I had these poles because 
apparently should use poles. But I was also, you know, my mental state wasn't great. So I was just kind of hanging in there basically and um, and just waiting to see how the trail would feel. Uh, so many unknowns ahead of me. I had no idea what, what was ahead of me, but I knew it was going to be an adventure. So, uh, yeah, it was just a, a very surreal experience not knowing what was coming. Uh, you mentioned you were walking this. You started this with a, with a friend, but that, that fell apart early on. What happened? So the first section of trail is basically 100 kilometers of beach. And we started walking on the first afternoon and she was limping a bit. She sort of had a, a mystery hip pain. And the next day it was at a point that she said she didn't feel like she could continue on that day uh, or in that section. And so she went back to, she said, I'm just going to hitchhike off the trail, go back to town, see if I can find a doctor and fix this and I'll meet you um, at the end of this 100-kilometre section. So she did that, uh, and then when she got back to town, she hadn't found a solution, and she said, I'm just going to fly home and see my usual doctor, and then I'll come back and see you. And I was like, okay. Um, and, yeah, after I'd walked about 300 k's, I got an email saying, sorry, I'm not coming back. So <laughs> so that was that. Yeah, I think she she also wasn't in the right headspace. The, the hip pain went away, but she had a... She had some other challenges, so um, it wasn't wasn't in her stars to do the hike. But uh, I'm grateful that she she got me to the start line anyway. And was it hard to keep going? You know, you, you have this team atmosphere doing something that's challenging, and then so early on, you're not a team. You're by yourself, and this isn't this isn't the Tour de Mont Blanc where you're seeing dozens or hundreds of people a day. It's um, you know, it's at this point still not a, a super popular or well known route. To be honest, I felt like I had no option. Um, not that I would have anyway, because I needed this hike. You know, I could not go back to the life I was leading. You know, I was with the anxiety. I was not functioning in normal life. I could not concentrate at work. I was just a wreck. So something had to give. I couldn't really just go back. But also, I'd invested so much preparation into this. And I, to be honest, at that point when she left, I wasn't sure that I'd be able to do it because I knew it was incredibly challenging terrain, but I just thought I'll just give it a go and see how far I get. And I ended up getting the whole way. Which is incredible considering, you know, that, that challenge early on. You've mentioned a couple of times about, you know, doing this about anxiety, about kind of, you know, stress. How did you know that this would impact your stress. You know, there's lots of research now here in 2023 about the benefits of the outdoors and this type of, you know, active travel in terms of mental health and stress. You were you were 10 years ahead of all this research. How? I guess um, I've always been aware that nature makes me feel better. It's something much bigger than us. Uh, the first hundred kilometers on that beach where it was just me and the sound of the waves and the sound of a few birds I mean, it was just blissful. I'd had so much overstimulation in the city, you know, traffic, noise, phones ringing, the buildings hum. You don't realize that until you, you know, out in the middle of nowhere and there's nothing there, but there's noise all the time um, and smells and sounds. And so I felt better already after that first 100Ks. And then it only really only took about three weeks, three, four weeks. And then I, suddenly realized, wait a minute, I haven't 
felt that anxiety for a while. And I was like, wow, is it really that easy? You know, just put, put me out in the wilderness for a few weeks and something that I'd struggled with for well over a year is just gone. Um, and it did sort of come and go for a little bit, but it just really, the the, the peace of nature, I guess, um, nature's like a tuning fork for me. So if you just tune into its energy, it just makes you feel a whole lot better and puts things into perspective. I love that analogy. I've never heard that one, but um, uh, yeah, there is something we had a guest on recently and she talked about a, a child who was mute. He hadn't spoken in years and he did a six week adventure camp and the last day he just went and started to talk. And, uh, you know, they tried all this therapy and uh, it's it's not necessarily clear, you know, in cases like that, but there's just something about being closer to nature, kind of maybe how um, we've evolved for thousands of years that are, I always just say, it just feels right. Like I can't explain it. I can't put words you're kind of tuning for because it's a really good way. It just feels like that's the way we should be. And whether I'm riding a bike or walking or skiing or snowshoeing, there's just something about having no other sound and the outdoors that um, is just, you know, how, how do we get more people to to do this is maybe the question. <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's actually quite um, a big focus of my book, actually, that I want to show people the amazing benefits of it. And for me, it was just a really profound experience. You know, the longer I spent out there away from all of the noise of civilization, you know, no, no media, no advertising, uh, no messages coming at me all the time. And I really felt my whole identity just drop away. Um, and I felt like I was just part of the land. I felt like I was part of the dirt and the rivers and the mountains and the rocks and the the sounds of the animals around me. I just felt like it's going to sound really weird, but I felt like we were all just one big pool of energy sort of thing. Um, so it when you feel like you're part of something much bigger, it just makes you feel a lot calmer and like you've got an anchor in life, I guess. So, um, yeah, it was really profound. And I've tried to describe it in my book, but I, I think it's hard unless you actually experience it for yourself. So I'm I'm actually really driven to get more people inspired to to get out in nature. That's of connectedness. I've heard a guide who would spend, you know, a couple months every uh, summer up on these high glaciers exploring on his own or with a couple friends, and he had a very similar uh, way of describing it, which, you know, I think there's lots of people that that feel that way. Um, I'm interested a little bit in the details of the trail, because uh, I know some people are listening to this thinking, I want to do this. Um, can you maybe just share a little bit about, you know, what it's like to sleep? How are, how long are the resupply points? Um, you know, and I think a little thing hit me with the river crossings, maybe talk a little bit about that, but, you know, just share the, the details that the average person probably wants to know. Yeah. So the trail roughly goes through or near a town once a week on average. I think the longest stretch I had to carry food for was about 10 days. Only needed to do a um, post ahead a food box in one spot in the South Island um, at Arthur's Pass. But the rest of it, you can just resupply on the way, which makes things handy. So yeah, every day you're just walking uh just uh, all you go to is find somewhere to to put up your tent at night in the north island it's a lot of just wild camping there's there's not really many official campsites and not so many huts a lot more huts in the south island backcountry huts 
Um, but in the in the north, you are just trying to find a little patch somewhere where you can put your tent up and hopefully near a river or maybe you've just walked through a tiny little township and you can fill up your um, water at a, at a park tap and then you just go and slink off into the bush somewhere and put your tent up. It's it's pretty um, it's pretty unformalized, shall we say? And then in the South Island, probably maybe seventy percent of the nights you can get in backcountry huts. And New Zealand's got this great system. Um, you just get a, a six month pass. Uh, it was about a hundred dollars when I was there, and you can stay unlimited stays in these um, backcountry huts. And some are you know, no more salubrious than a garden shed and others are like double glazed, awesome palaces with, uh, you know, a, a fireplace inside and staying a lot of huts in the South Island because the South has a lot more mountains and sort of wilder, um, more exposed terrain. So the other question was just, it seemed in your book, there's the river crossings. It seems something where in a lot of, you know, even in Canada, most of the routes, you know, that parks will put up, um, a bridge over, you know, treacherous river crossings in Europe, you know, there's always bridges. It seemed like there were some pretty treacherous river crossings. And that seemed like as a reader is like that, that seemed a bit, a bit worrying when you don't deal with those in a lot of other places on earth. Yeah. I, I think Kiwis are sort of famously hardy and they just expect you'd be able to deal with these things. Um, and, you know, there are a lot of swing bridges, just suspension bridges made of mesh that are sort of wide enough for a boot um there's one three wire bridge where you actually stand on a wire and hang on to two other wires as you cross and then there's a lot where you just have to wade through um so you do need to sort of take care on those crossings but you know there's so many you just kind of um sort of toughen up and get used to it i always kept my boots on because the water is so cold and the rocks are slippery and it's just more secure um, to just wade through with your boots on and you just zone out to the to the discomfort and um, it really wasn't an issue. And there's a lot of sections, say, in the South Island where it's just easier to walk up the river maybe for five kilometres than to try and negotiate the overgrown track that undulates next to it. So, yeah, it just really becomes part of the walk. There are two rivers on the trail um, that are considered hazards, uh, official hazards that um, you really have to think twice about. One is pretty much, there's two rivers beginning with R. <laughs> anyway, the Rangatau, so you've got a chance of crossing, but it's a massive braided river, which it took me two hours to cross. Um, it's like, tw- you know, a dozen rivers in one, basically. So it's if this shapeshifter that changes with the water flow. Um, and you might cross the first couple of braids and then get stranded in the middle if the if the water level's too high in the next one. So that one does take some thought and planning and some local knowledge. And some you, the other river, you just got to hitchhike around, basically. You met a, a batch of characters on your through hike. They were all on on their journey, and you know, I'm, I'm interested in in you know your thoughts on the depth of friendship on you know these characters you meet on a through hike versus just how you make friendships in the, you know, you can work in an office for five years and, and have a different, a different type of friendship. And, you know, there's probably lots of listeners that have never been on a through hike. How would you describe these through hike friendships? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. 
the trail puts you in close contact with people that you might never normally come across in everyday life or that you you know maybe you're you have vastly different personalities or or interests maybe but the trail throws you all in together and you're sharing you have this one common experience and if you're walking together with somebody for a, a day or days or weeks um you're with them all the time not just during the day but when you get to camp at night and you know you there's no tv or or other distractions so you just talk about life and yourself and so you end up revealing things that you would not normally do in a pub in town so yeah it's really interesting and i think the also the the shared challenge you know when when people have shared challenging times together it it does bond you a bit more you know you've got this um shared a shared experience basically so yeah it's it's really interesting and while you're you know you're doing the walk can you think back to like a favorite part i'm not talking about a specific day or a specific view but just is there a feeling from doing you know these five months that you found really drawn to or that you can put into words i guess you know i've never been happier than i was on that trail with just one bag of belongings one outfit no makeup no mirrors no media um and it was just so blissfully happy um and i i had this epiphany in a hut in the south island i was I don't know, probably about 500 Ks from the end and I was starting to feel the anxiety come back and I thought, no, this can't be. And um, I just sort of, you know, said to myself, what is this all about? And this voice just popped up in my head and said, I'm scared of not being me. And and I just immediately I thought, that's it. You know, I don't want to go back to my old life. And I thought, well, I don't have to. You know, no one's got a gun to my head. Um, I can just continue on using this this courage that I did on the trail to change my life when I get back and that's what I did but I guess it was that realization that the trail gave me the trail gave me confidence and it gave me the the peace and the space to start to tune into my my gut and my you know what was inside me so um that made me feel incredibly light and so middle of the south island or actually a lot of the South Island, I was just, I felt so light in being um, and I would laugh at stupid things and sing a lot and it was just a a really happy, freeing time. Have you been able, you know, it's 10 years on, you've changed, you know, lots has gone on. Do you feel you still, is has that lightness kind of kept in your, you know, your personality or did the return to regular life kind of, you know, uh, uh, dampen much of that. Yeah. Look, it, it's hard to hang on to that when you're surrounded by whirlpool in, uh, in everyday life. And I did for, um, a couple of years because I came back and I quit my corporate job. I always knew I wanted to write a book about this story. So I thought I'll just give myself a year out to, to write it. And so I was just bouncing from one thing to the next, house-sitting here, there, and everywhere, um, volunteering. I went to the Solomon Islands in the South Pacific, lived in this little thatched bungalow over the water for a couple of months, just volunteering and, and writing. So, you know, 
I had no money in that, at that time, but I felt rich because I was just living an inspired life and, and doing what I wanted. And it turns out if you don't spend a lot of money, you don't need a lot of money. So I didn't have a house or a car or nothing to maintain, just just food. Um, and I was staying in places that um, let me stay for free. So I could hang on to that feeling for quite a while. But then, you know, I I started writing for um, magazines and newspapers and that turned into a, a full-time job. And then you get deadlines and, and stress and, yeah, it, it, I'm at a point now where I need to have a rethink and remind myself of where I want to be and I don't want to be so busy that I forget who I am or where I'm headed. So I need to bring some of that balance um, back into my life again. But, um, yeah, I can drop into it. If I go for a day hike, I can drop into that feeling much quicker than I could before. So once you know what something feels like, it's easier to return to. So, you know, if I just go for a three-day hike now in amongst nature, I just immediately feel that um, peace and calm come over me again. And so people who live busy lives, do you think there is a way that they can incorporate that feeling of nature without having to, you know, go on holiday for three or four days? Is there something you you found that you can do on a daily basis that helps do that? Or is it really just this, you know, this focus on recharging and it sounds crazy, go hike for a week and you'll be recharged because it sounds like hard work to most people. But is that the only solution? Maybe it's not even so much the hiking, but the the Japanese coined the term forest bathing. Probably if you do that, you know, that's all about mindfully sitting in nature and touching the earth and smelling the earth and noticing all the details around you. So it's basically mindfulness in nature. So I suppose you could do that, you know, just go into a forest, but instead of walking through it and thinking about your to-do list, be present where you are and notice all the details. Everything else will fall away and it'll, it'll be like a meditation, which is well known to um, lower your stress levels and, and give you clarity. Uh, actually, I have a question. Do you count your steps when you hike? <laughs> no, no. It's not important for me. I do it. My mind just goes that way. And I was talking to uh, an author who, I guess there's all these studies that actually when you're when you're hiking and you're not talking with somebody, a lot of people start counting their steps. And that's you know a form of meditation, counting your breaths. And uh, there's all this research now that's showing that, you know, doing doing a walk when you're not talking has a lot of meditative uh, aspects. And and you could have mentioned it right there. And I feel that sometimes where I come out of a, a walk and I just feel like a new person, I think, how the heck does, you know, walking the mountain six hours have this much impact? And then you think, oh, I've never done a six hour meditation. I find 15 minutes hard. I feel great after 15 minutes. But, you know, is that just part of it that we let our minds just zone out? That's it. Um, and it takes a while sometimes, you know, especially if you come from a busy life and you go on the trail. Sometimes I find it easier to listen to music first because then at least I'm focusing on one thing. I'm focusing on the music. And then I take the music away and just listen to the sounds of, of the land because it's very easy. You might, you know, the monkey mind wants to start swinging off other ideas and in your head. Um, but if you can just Start by focusing on one thing and then take that away and just let the space happen. Yeah, it's definitely like a meditation. But like you say, 
and sitting cross-legged in a room on a pillow for 15 minutes, super hard work. Hike all day and just focus, be mindful of what's around you. That is way easier. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's wild how that is. Um, so, So you did this walk and it changed your life. But do you ever think back to, you know, you were had a successful corporate career. Do you ever think back and, and wonder what your life would be like if you hadn't done this? You just kept along the corporate, you know, the corporate path that so many people do and and, and they don't they don't go walk 3000 kilometers and uh, have this epiphany. Yeah, it's a total spin out. It's funny. There was a, um, a lady on the trail that I walked with for about a month. Uh, from Germany, and we met up again in New Zealand, coincidentally, about three years after the hike, and we had dinner, and then she messaged me the next day and said, she said, I almost didn't recognize you. She said, you look more like you, if that makes sense. And I thought, that makes complete sense, because for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm being me as well. And I, I thought, you know, how scary is that, that without that hike, I mean, I was mid-40s when I started it, without that hike, I could feasibly have gone through an entire life just existing and doing what was expected of me and not actually living to my potential and doing something that that fits me and, and my psyche. You know, I, I get bored easily. I want to travel. I don't want to get up at the same time every day. I want variety, you know, and now I've found a life as a as a full-time travel writer and, and speaker where I don't have to do the same thing and I'm in control of my life and I don't have to go to a particular office every day. And so that, yeah, that trip just fundamentally changed the course of my life. And, um, you know, I wanted to write a book since I was in primary school and you just don't do it. <laughs> it's like who who writes a book? You know, it's um, it's a a, chal- a very challenging thing to get published, and um, but after that hike, I thought I'll just try, and that's something I've taken through the rest of my life. Just try, and I wanted I'd wanted to be a travel writer for years, you know, but I just thought about it as too difficult. But then I thought just try, and now that's my full time job as well. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of wild how um, how a trip can change you. Why do you think you mentioned, you know, you're living a life based on expectations um, and they were your expectations. You know, you, you as a kid, you want to write, write a book. Why do you think so many of us, I did something similar in my life. I know, talked to a lot of people that are in jobs or careers they hate, but they've built a life that they can't give up the paycheck. Why do you think this path hit, hits so many people where they're doing something that they don't like? Have you heard of that old story that if you get a baby, uh, look, I might be <laughs> getting this wrong, but the gist will be right. If you get a baby elephant and, you know, chain it up as a baby, it will not, um, it, it can't move. And then as an adult, it could totally break that chain and walk away, but it doesn't because it still thinks that it's confined. And I think in our lives, we don't realize that we've got choices and we just stick on the tram tracks and, um, you know, go on the the uh, path of least resistance, and it does take courage and energy to to veer off the tracks of expectation and, and and what you're doing. But I can tell you, you know, when I quit my corporate job, I thought, "Am I crazy? I'm giving up a you know, it's a good job. I was uh, working for a, a leisure tourism company that ran a ski resort. I got a free ski season pass. I had a great boss. 
Um, you know, I thought, am I crazy giving this up in my mid-40s to to chase the dream of being a writer, um, which seemed kind of crazy. But as soon as I did it, I thought, oh, my God, why didn't I do this sooner, you know? <laughs> um, and it's, yeah, I just think we don't realise that we have choices sometimes and it ta- does take bravery to, to um, leap, take that leap. But when you do it, I know people who take leaps and, uh, you know, rarely do people um, regret it. It's more, uh, wow, the blinkers get taken off and you realise there's so many options in life that you can uh, choose to take. Uh, I I think that is just an incredible message to end this discussion on uh, because I think that's just so powerful that and the analogy of the baby elephant and there is so much we don't realise. I think going back in my life, like there's all these things I could have done when I was in university or younger. And you, it was almost like you don't realize you can do those things. It's not just other people. And um, uh, I, I want to say congrats uh, on your book. It's an enthralling read. It's one of those books, you know, you just want to keep reading it again and again, or read every page. You don't want to put it down. Um, and it's on Kindle. So you don't even have to worry about having a physical book. You can get it and uh, read it this weekend. Uh, so I want to say thanks for coming on the podcast, Laura. Thanks very much for having me, Richard. It's been great. And if people want to follow along either with your journey or find you on social media, how can they find you? Yeah, I'm uh, most active on Instagram. So it's Laura Waters underscore writer. That's where most of my um, travels are. Um, and then I've got a website, soultrekkers.com.au. That's S-O-U-L trekkers.com.au. Excellent. I'll put links to both of those in the show notes, as well as a link for your book uh, on Amazon. And uh, uh, yeah, I can't recommend the book enough. It's a great story about a fun trip, but also there's a lot of other stuff in there, like what we talked about. So it's not just purely a, a book about an adventure. It's about you know about life and, and making a decision about how you want to live it, which I think is really powerful. Uh, with that, uh, I want to th- say thanks to everyone for listening to the show again this week. We'll be back next week to explore the world and hear about more epic adventures. Listen to other episodes of the 10 Adventures podcast on Amazon Music at amazon.com slash 10 adventures.